previously on Little Bit Leave It. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Little Bit Leave It, the podcast where we talk Love Island, UK, in the USA. My name is Ben, and with me, actually, nobody's with me today because we have a special episode for you. It is the entire interview with Parker James from the podcast A Modern Proposal. We included about 20 minutes of this interview in last week's episode of Little Bit Leave It that covered episodes 23 and 24 of season 6 of Love Island UK, but here we present the interview in its entirety. Well, it's all of the parts that we think are worth listening to anyway, so there's that. We talked a lot about Love Island, and we also made some comparisons to other shows that we like, and we just could not fit all of it into last week's podcast. Next week, we will be back to recapping the sixth season of Love Island UK. We will be talking about episode 25. And in truth, the lighter load this week is allowing us to prepare for season seven, We will be covering the new season of Love Island UK weekly, and we're somehow going to keep producing shows covering every episode of season six at the same time. So get ready for a whole ton of new content from us here at Little Bit Leave It. And also get ready to play Fantasy Love Island. If you've ever played fantasy sports or just know about the concept in general, well, we are doing it for Love Island. Anyone can play. We are going to be releasing a Google Doc so you can play with your friends anywhere they are, all over the world, or you can join our Discord server by supporting the podcast at $2 per month, and you can play with the folks who are on there. So go to patreon.com slash littlebitleaveit to sign up and check out our Twitter feed. I am at LBLI Podcast. And there will be a link to the Google Doc there. I will pin it to my profile once it goes live, which will probably be about a week before the seventh season of Love Island starts, June 28. We're all looking forward to it. So it is very, very soon. We're excited. We know you're excited. So enjoy this week's special episode of Little Bit Leave It, and we will be back with a regular episode next week. So today we have a special treat. We are going to be doing a feature segment that is a little bit different from our usual. We have a very special guest. Yes, the scholarship today will be less questionable than usual. Yeah, I like that. I like that. So today we've got Parker James. He is from the Modern Proposal podcast, and you guys should all go check it out. Say hello, Parker. Howdy, y'all. First of all, thanks for having me on. Thank you for uh, equating my podcast to some scholarship. I I appreciate that. Yeah, no, his podcast, I highly recommend listening. Beck, you agree? Yes. Now I'm going to go listen to it. Okay, so I actually did listen to an episode and it is really interesting. I don't want to spoil it, but the segment we're doing, I... I think it's fair to say it's almost like a preview or an analogous structure to your normal podcast, right, Parker? 
Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's, it's kind of like a kind of like a little mini episode that you know we're doing a little collaboration on. And so your podcast is actually based on the famous historical essay, historical, I guess, at this point, a modest proposal. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? How you came up with the idea for the podcast? Yeah, so A Modest Proposal was written by Jonathan Swift, who also wrote Gulliver's Travels, just for a little bit more reference. It was written in the 1700s during the height of the Irish potato famine. That's a really bad time to be living through. And so Swift wrote this essay as a satirical way to make fun of the English government and the Irish government for not providing food, for mismanaging their land. And his proposal was that we can't sell any more kids off to get money for food. All these kids are becoming thieves. Let's just eat them. Like, let's just start eating babies. They have tons of nutrition on them. They have tons of fat on them. They can make really good leathers for hats and gloves and boots and whatnot. And then you stop the problem of thieves and you don't have to eat all of them. You see like every like one in three, because you got to have the next generation. And that's, I'm paraphrasing a lot here, but that's kind of the general gist of the essay. In a very weird turn of events, it actually came up to me on my Kindle as a recommended reading list. And so I got it for like a dollar and I reread it. I'm like, huh, what's the modern equivalent of this? And then I'm like, hmm, I bet that could make a really interesting podcast. Yeah. So basically your podcast takes some type of problem in society and gives us a satirical, horrible solution for it. Yeah, that's correct. And um, some solutions are softer than others just because like some solutions are a little bit more heavy. And when I pull up more research, I'm just like, oh, this is way more intense than I had first realized. And so like I kind of like to tone it down a little bit or I make it uh, a little bit different depending on who my guest is or what the topic of discussion is. Anyway, sometimes this time of day because like episode that I have coming out on Monday um, which will probably be way later for the people listening to this show. Whenever this episode comes out, it was all about wealth inequality and I recorded it like 2 a.m. with one of my friends. So we're like, you know what? Let's just, let's just have fun with this one. I do about a week of research beforehand. So I get all of my Q's and T's in order, so to speak. And just to make sure that like, I'm not misspeaking or getting a fact wrong or anything like that. And so uh, I took that basic concept and I applied it to Love Island UK. I know you've watched some reality TV before, but not so much Love Island UK. Is that right? That is correct. I don't really watch like a ton of TV, especially like during the pandemic and during the plague. I've just been reading a lot more. I work a lot. I'm busy with my own podcast. And again, like each episode takes about 30 to 40 hours of research, even just before I get to the writing stage. And then that writing stage takes like a day and a half of just writing all day. But I did watch Love Island UK and I'm not saying this is a bad thing. It's just what I noticed. It is like the boiled down essence of TV brain candy that we just love to watch, right? It's hot young people in a far off exotic location getting drink, party and hook up to their heart's content. And it's pretty easy to make, relatively cheap to produce, and it's so hard to look away from. Yeah, definitely compared to some of the prestige scripted dramas, the production costs are definitely a little lower. Well, yeah, you don't have to pay actors. Right. The actors are not paid very much. And we do think of the contestants as actors in this podcast. Some more than others. Yes, some more than others. (laughs) Some are openly acting and some are some are playing much more naturally. But yeah, we agree. It's hard to look away from. And we know it's gotten a lot more popular over the last year, especially in the United States. Yeah. And like, I also watched Love Island Australia, just like for reference, because one thing that I noticed too, was that it's sort of like a snapshot 
of what that country's culture is supposed to value like on its like very very face value like on its very surface level it's like oh this is what we think people's relationships should be like this is what we think people should look like this is what we think that people should act with each other when we're going down this rabbit hole of finding a partner or finding love or this that and whatever and so if it's okay with you guys uh let's get into a little bit of the history and facts about love island that might you know maybe might change the scope of the show a little bit yeah, let's do it. All right. So as I'm sure your listeners and you know, the, the show first started in 2005 and was later rebooted a number of times. And so I'm getting these numbers and facts from a Guardian article by Mark Sweeney dated on September 29th, 2006, which I know sounds a little bit old, but it gets pretty dark. So that's why it's kind of hard to find more recent uh, info about this. And also because they're pretty hush hush about it. And I'm also pulling from an article in Evening Standard by Prudence Ivy dated March 10th, 2020. It was super, super hard to find like a super accurate number on like how much this show costs, but roughly speaking, it costs around 12 million pounds or just shy of $17 million to produce one season of Love Island. And the South African villa for the season that we're talking about right now costs 5.3 million pounds or $7.4 million just to build. That's not too shabby considering... It's a pretty nice house. I think they did have it built to suit for the TV production. Oh, yeah. And they built it in like six weeks, too. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. And for any super fans out there, at the low, low cost of £3,000 or $4,200 a night, you can rent it. If you get a bunch of friends. I think this is something. Like 10 friends. I think this is something we might do. Yeah, because we all want to sleep side by side by side by side with all our best friends and that that girl we hate. And now that a lot of our friends have small children, it'll be really fun to all be in one room. Well, it'll be like the baby episode. Well, no, 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 no. It's fine. All right. I saw the set. They have beds outside. That's where the kiddos can sleep. It'll be a nice night. All right. You just get them a mozzie net, pour in some citronelle. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Any babies who survive the wolves will be the ones who get to live on. If your baby can't fight off a wolf, they don't deserve to grow up. We've gotten to the child sacrifice a little earlier than I was anticipating. (laughs) That was way faster than I was expecting. Jonathan Swift would be proud. And so now, obviously, this sounds rather expensive. But something I think is really important to point out is that the show made 77 million pounds or 108 million pounds in ad revenue alone. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah, like that's just it. That doesn't include anyone who buys like DVD bot sets or deals with streaming sites or deals with merch or this, that and appearances. And so, you know what? I just just occurred to me in terms of a roughly equivalent number. So if you think about the United States, the television rights to air professional sports. So let's say you have like a 30 team league. The league can sell those rights for something like three billion dollars and obviously they're counting on over the course of an entire season of a professional team well over a hundred million but certainly less than 200 million dollars in advertising revenue per team so if you think about that love island only airs for eight weeks and generates over a hundred million dollars in advertising revenue basically on a weekly basis they're selling the ads for love island as if it was a really popular Sports team. Yeah. And so on that note, I found a very, very interesting quote that I just want to get you guys' thoughts on from an article in Campaign Live by Gerdrick Deegan on August 13th, 2019. Quote, 
Media agent sources told Campaign the broadcaster charged around 10 times more for spot ads during Love Island than the average price for that slot in ITV2 as a result of the higher ratings the show attracted. Across 42 episodes, viewers averaged 5.7 million per episode on all devices, up 600,000 viewers year on year. 30-second ads on the main show are estimated to have cost around 45,000 pounds up from 4,000 pounds for a general spot on ITV2 between 9 and 10 p.m., end quote. Wow, that's pretty wild. You know, I was just looking up the Super Bowl ad revenue, and it's a lot more than Love Island. But Love Island is yeah. still pretty impressive. I have to give it credit. I think that's rather interesting intersection that it's like, they're making that much money for a show about hot 20-year-olds getting to boyfriend and girlfriend swap. Do you know what I mean? And it's like the Super Bowl is this massive event that takes all these weeks of planning and you have to, and it's like a five-hour event. You have to get all these different ads on. You have to do all these different things. And yet they made this relatively cheap show. They do script it a lot, but they don't really have to do that much like in directing and this, that, and whatever, because they can just do takes over and over and over again. It's structured more than scripted, I would say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The Super Bowl, they have to, there's so many more moving parts where there's thousands of people working on it. And Love Island, they do have hundreds of people working on it. They still charge up to 10 times more than just like a normal spot. Now I wish we could watch Love Island live because I wonder what the commercials are like. Even non-football fans, I would say I kind of straddle the line, look forward to the ads at the Super Bowl. You know, the companies that do shell out the money, they usually bring it. And it's usually the more memorable part, frankly, especially with a crappy game. But I wonder if the (laughs) Love Island advertisers bring it in the same way. Yeah, so... And every single reality TV show, they are hammered the whole time they're recording. The whole time that they're recording and taping their show. Like that was one of the things I noticed too in both Love Island UK and Love Island Australia. They are just constantly drinking. They are just always drunk. It's interesting that you mentioned that. So the alcohol on Love Island UK is really, really tightly managed. Really? And so, okay. yeah, they open and close the spigots according to what they want to happen in the show. And so if they feel that things are getting a little stale or a little boring, they're known to allow the contestants to drink more. But a lot of the contestants on the latest seasons, they complain that They only allow us a couple drinks at a time or a couple drinks a night. But you can tell there are certain nights when everybody's getting drunk and certain nights when nobody's drinking. Yeah, well, it actually, it makes those drunk nights stand out. And we just talked about in episode 20 how they have this weird game where you pass drinks mouth to mouth from person to person. You go in a chain for about 10 or 12 people. The girl at the end of the line just keeps drinking all the alcohol. Honestly, I mean, I'm not saying she's right or wrong. All I'm going to say is I understand. All right. Also, could you imagine pitching that to somebody today? Yeah, I don't think that's going (laughs) to happen anymore after COVID unless they all put like dental dams in their mouth. (laughs) Which would kind of take some of the skeeve out of it. But yeah, I think that one's going to be nixed after COVID. If they're all wearing dental dams, I might tune in for a few more episodes. And so when you're talking about the whole uh, spigot thing, that actually made me realize something too. In the Grecian times and like when they were having like their parties, there'd be like a wine DJ because they used to mix their wine with water because it was seen as a negative quote to be getting too drunk at like in a, a social um, gathering. And so they was like, eh, things are getting kind of stale. Things aren't really going that well. They're just like, you know, open up the taps a little bit more. Let's just pour in some more wine with our water. And then like, oh, people get a little too drunk. Let's just, uh, let's, let's, let's pull it back a little bit. And so- I found Love Island a little bit insane and super entertaining to watch. I got to admit it. But I would argue that Love Island, 
And also, reality TV in general has its roots in the Roman Empire, which on its face sounds like the ravings of a lunatic, but if you ever heard my show, maybe that's a fair comparison. The Colosseum, also known as the Flavian Amphitheater, was built in 70 to 72 CE and was opened in 80 to 82 CE under Roman Emperor Titus. He hosted 100 straight days of games alongside dramas, reenactments, and even some public executions. And in episode 24, the one that I watched for the show, the way that Callum dumped Shauna, that's a modern day public execution of the heart. All right. Like I, oh my, oh, oh my God. Brutal. There were two public executions during this. Unfortunately, one of them happened the episode before, but the Callum and Shauna one was just. That's the one that was the most devastating. And that's the one that people remember from this season. Yeah. He and Molly got publicly and cyber bullied. Because of it. Even though now I'm a lot more sympathetic to them this go around. Oh yeah, isn't that super fun? And what's also super super fun is the reason the Coliseum was built. Do you guys have any any guesses to why they did this? We knew this question was coming. I intentionally did not look it up because our listeners are used to us making fools of ourselves. Okay. I erased some of the worst ones. Like when we agreed that Marilyn was named after the wrong Queen Mary, I erased that one. Oh, now yeah. I guess I'm admitting to it. My guess would just be a sort of let them eat cake principle. Yeah, I was thinking that given the timing, I'm just vaguely remembering this from world history is that I think that the Roman Empire was already starting to decline a little bit by this point. But why don't you tell us? Yeah, so that's a great guess. So it does require a little bit of backstory first. So during the reign of everyone's favorite, can I curse on this? Yes. Okay, cool. I just wanted to make sure. Cool. During the reign of everyone's favorite piece of shit, Nero, uh, and specifically during the year 66 CE, there was an uprising between the Jewish population of what's now Israel and the occupying Roman armies. And so basically the Jewish population was pissed that the Romans were stealing all this shit and revolted. So in turn, the Roman governor of what's now Israel, Jesus Flores, responded by plundering the second temple and claiming all of Israel's money was for the emperor. And then the next day launched a raid into the city, arresting and murdering numerous senior Jewish figures. Yeah, we're kind of used to that shit, aren't we? Yeah, it's just like over and over again. Another day in Jew life. Yeah, like they were burning down the Romans equivalent of like a Roman police station. And so they just stole all their money. (laughs) And so naturally that escalated into a full on war uh, that lasted around about eight to 10 years. And it basically bankrupted the Roman Empire. So the Flavian family who took over right after Nero built the Colosseum because Rome was rioting and burning everything down. They built it because the Roman Empire was super corrupt and just there was just so much money mismanagement, land mismanagement, human mismanagement by like conscripting kids to go fight in Israel and then just go get killed. And so everyone's rather, rather pissed. So they start, they're trying to burn down Rome. So that's why they built the Colosseum. Israel still does that. Yeah. So now if you fast forward to the modern day and the addition of the plague, reality TV viewership, one could say is buzzing. Please move past my poor use of uh, the British vernacular. Yeah, yeah. The viewers are buzzing. The viewership, <laughs> I don't think can be buzzing, right? Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, not unless they're bees. The Jews but, got know. pied once again. Yeah. I should know more of this. I dated a British girl for like six months. Uh, anyway... <laughs> That's why I'm equating the Roman Colosseum to reality TV because it's really good at distracting people. Like really, really good at just, it's like you have this plague going on, yes, in the US, like if you lost your job, you're not getting unemployment benefits, you're about to get evicted, you're about to have all of these really awful things happen to you. And so you could go riot, you could go try to ask for your rights back, or you could make it easy and then just, oh, 
there's hot people on a, on this beautiful Island. I can project onto that. And you know, like I can just watch this and not have my, not have to think about these things. So this actually brings up two things for me. Number one is Tiger King. Oh, like, yes. Right at the beginning of the pandemic, right when everything was shutting down, Tiger King had everything, right? Drugs, sex, betrayal, murder, rednecks, guns. Tigers. Tigers. That bitch, Carol Baskin. (laughs) So that, I think, really brought us all together at a time when everything was scary. And we also had somebody else to laugh at because, let's face it, some of those people really deserved our derision. We had people to cheer for. And there was a boom in reality TV because we were all lonely. And reality TV stars are technically, theoretically, still regular people. And it felt like having friends over, even if obviously they don't know us, they're on the other side of a screen. But I think it helped assuage some of that loneliness. At least it did for me. I think Love Island in particular, because compared to other reality shows, it airs, what, six times a week. Every episode, instead of being focused on, say, a week of these people's lives, is a day in their lives. And so, yeah, you're seeing them in tighter intervals. You're getting a little bit more in-depth into their interpersonal relationships. But I would also argue that, you know, it's not just reality TV, right? Like, we live in a hyper-consumerist culture, and obviously sports... I think serves very much the same purpose. And we didn't have sports. Yeah. And we didn't have much sports at the time. And that could have also fed into why reality TV enjoyed a moment or is still enjoying a moment. But also even thinking about prestige dramas, right, that air on premium cable networks or Netflix, even the ones that do really attempt to impart a moral message. So I'm thinking like The Wire, right? Veggie yeah. tales? No, not veggie tales. <laughs> <laughs> there, there has to be someone out there that was just like veggie tales. Soothe my the thing soul. About even shows like The Wire is that the moral or the message that they end up taking away. Not a ton of people outside of the pages of certain magazines and websites really think about The Wire as an indictment of our civic institutions and the way that they have crushed the individual, which is like a big part of the message of the whole series. What do most people think about? They think about Omar Little and Stringer Bell, Mm -hmm. these two badass guys, right? Both of whom, of course, met tragic ends. Sorry, this is a Love Island podcast, not a Wire podcast, so we will give spoilers for The Wire. Uh, also, I mean, ended yeah. like 10 years ago. I feel like you don't need to spoil it for anything 30 years old. Not 30 years old. <laughs> yeah, not 30. It's, well, it's like 15 or 20, actually, at this point, isn't it? It's yeah. close to 20 years old. You shut your whore mouth. It is not that old. <laughs> we are not that old. But yeah, I think it's almost inevitable in our society that... Um, cultural products do ultimately become received as bread and circus. Yep. Especially because I found this really interesting quote from Pew Research by uh, Rakesh Kashar on the 11th of June, 2020. Quote, the COVID-19 outbreak and the economic downturn it endeared swelled the ranks of unemployed Americans by more than 14 million from 6.2 million in February to 20.5 million in May, 2020. 
As a result, the U.S. unemployment rate shot up from 3.8% in February, among the lowest on record in the post-World War II era, to 13% in May. That rate was the IRA's second highest, only trailing the level reached in April of 14.4%, end quote. And I'm going to quote uh, George Carlin here just for a moment. So he did this bit about how the government doesn't really care about you. They just want your money. And then they give it over to like the corporate guys. The reason I'm quoting him is because it's like, all these people are unemployed. You want this bread and circus. And the fact that the US government only gave us $3,200 over the course of the pandemic (laughs) over like 15 months, it's so much easier just to watch this show and watch reality TV and watch these dramas than sit around the kitchen table and question why we're getting fucked so hard by the government. I think there's room for both. As we saw over the summer. Yeah, I think we did have, I think the largest protests in the history of the country were in the summer of 2020, but not related to the pandemic and the complete failure of our government to assemble anything resembling a coherent response. Yeah. And like, I worked the entire pandemic too. That's good. I mean. (laughs) No, it's not. What were you doing? Yeah. Like, I mean, what were you out? I was working in a restaurant uh, initially, and then my restaurant eventually, they're like, we can give you six hours a week, man. And I'm like, that's not enough to live on. Sweet. Um, I'm going to look for another job. I'm like, we get it. Like, if things change, you know, you're more than welcome to come back. But I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. Um, and because I live in Colorado, I managed to get into the cannabis industry, and that was booming. However, where I'm at, I had to serve and interact with a lot of people from Wyoming and Nebraska and Utah where they didn't really take the plague seriously. And so I had to deal with that. People come in without mask. And then I had a dude come in and tell me, and I distinctly remember this. So I'm quoting this man here, that COVID-1984, that's just a communist I will roll back my statement a little. It's good that you had employment. It is not good that it forced you to rub elbows with absolute knuckleheads. Is that more accurate? That's way more accurate. Yeah, I'm very, very grateful that I had that employment, especially because when you work in cannabis, when all you can do is stay home and smoke weed, I made money. And I don't want to discount that at all. I was super, super grateful of that. I also had to take eight COVID tests in the seven months that I worked there. I can't say which one I worked for. I can't say exactly what happened, but some things happened that showed that they were not taking it as seriously for us as workers. And then yeah, a bunch of my coworkers kept getting sick. So we kept having to do COVID tests. We kept having to shut down. We kept having to like, today we should have nine people here, but we only have four people here. Good luck. It's a numbers game, right? Ultimately, you're just seeing so many people. Yeah. Yeah, I managed to get my shots. So everyone, go go get your shots. Go do it. Do it up. Go hug your grandma. Let's get back to these hotties on the island. Yeah, much better. Maybe it is a bit of mindless brain candy. But Parker, do you think we should ever feel bad for any of these people? I think a little bit, yes, because we spoke a little bit about this off mic, but reality TV in general really kind of exploits people. Okay, I'm speaking from a leftist point of view. I've been tear gassed by police enough times to know that I do not like capital. And I really don't want to poo-poo this show at all. Like, it's entertainment. It's fun to watch. And if it brings people together, you know, more power to you. I'm getting all this data from a Heat World article by Georgina Terry and Polly Foreman dated on September 29th, 2019. Heat World is like UK people. So... The contestants of Love Island get paid around 250 pounds a week or around $345 per week. And they're only on it for eight weeks. So they're making about 2000 pounds or about $2,600, which really bothers me because 
they make the like they don't make the show but if they didn't have them they wouldn't have a show they would have a script and they would have a structure and so if this show is making as we spoke before 108 million dollars in two months why can't you pay them more than two grand we should take a look at make sure these numbers are right but i i mean i think your general point still stands that the labor is not capturing its fair share of the value that's being created here but i i think i read thousand pounds a week is or a thousand pounds might be a minimum payment that they get so if they're only on for a week or two they still get a thousand but i think that some of the contestants do a little bit better than this they might oh yes they absolutely do with past winners of alex bowman and olivia buckland now being worth 4.4 million pounds or six million dollars if you get extra shows if you're compelling enough or pretty enough or both you get more shows but like that's my point though right because it's like it's some of these guys are doing it but then on the flip side you you can end relationships in your personal life you can trash your reputation if you were like asked to play the villain or play the fool or play you know this character and now you did it and now people can see that all the time and it's like how are you supposed to move forward of that for a thousand pounds just you know right for yeah. example yeah so it's like they're just using your beautifulness and the fact that you've probably consumed more uh c4 pre-workout and weights that you could probably run a truck off of it to be this you know cut bulking beefcake of a man and you know vice versa for girls how do you i just it's what you're saying it's like the labor doesn't match how much profit that they're making off of this so it's like they're making hundreds of millions of dollars off the show and they can only toss you a couple grand. Yeah, no, I mean, know? they definitely take advantage of the idea that in previous seasons, some contestants have gone on to make a lot of money and become stars. Most of the people who get onto Love Island do not make millions of dollars and become stars, but some of them do. And yeah. I think increasingly... Right back as the seasons have gone on, you see a higher proportion of the contestants do seem to be there for celebrity reasons, not as much for love reasons. Would you agree? I'm an optimist and I like to see the best in people. And we weren't really part of the UK celebrity following, you know, fandom right. before we started this. I think now we know a lot more than Unfortunately. we did. Unfortunately. We came in blind <laughs> and I think we've stayed relatively blind yeah. on purpose, as blind as we yeah. possibly could. We have an Instagram yeah. account that literally only follows Love Island stars. And I threw a few people from the circle in there too. Uh, would you say that your love is blind? Our love of the show is blind, <laughs> certainly. Yeah, definitely. Our love of the show is blind. We love it despite the problems. In some yeah. regards, I think we love it for the problems because it allows us to talk about the problem. Yeah. Everyone has their own cup of tea. Like, you know, you like what you like, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I do think it's important to exactly what you're saying. One, be able to talk about these things and also be able to recognize that this is a TV show. This is not how people fall in love. This is not how, you know, this isn't how this works. But the one thing that I noticed, just my personal and often wrong opinion, it sends a very interesting message to the people that they're decently attractive. They have this Instagram following already, and they want to go on a show like this. In my opinion, it's sending the message that the best way for upward social and economic movement is to be A, drop dead beautiful, B, get onto a show like Love Island or Love is Blind or Too Hot to Handle or et cetera, C, live a life so full of drama that random people on the other side of the world will be talking about you for weeks to come, 
or B, bullying you and you know, you're harassing you online. And D, most importantly, be willing to exploit your reputation and your life for a very small amount of money and the hope that you'll be picked up for much larger sums of money. So like you're not worth much unless you are an inhumanly perfect and an imperfectly perfect human at the same time. And it's interesting because, so I'm thinking of one season six member in particular, Demi. She's lovely and she's sweet. She's very outgoing. There's no reason for anybody to dislike her. Yeah. And she does quite well in the show. But we watched What Happened Next, which was like a follow-up done by the Love Island people. It was filmed last summer, late fall. And all these people are saying, well, now we have a fashion line. Now we have this. Now we have that. We're all doing all these things. And they cut to her video and she's like, I'm sad and at home quarantining and I'm watching a lot of TV. That was it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This whole topic is really interesting to me. So I've lately been spending more and more time on the Love Island subreddit. And what started to become apparent to me is that there is a segment of the fan base that really does have a hard time distinguishing between reality and the structured reality that the show presents. And they have a hard time understanding that the contestants on the show are self-consciously constructing identities that they think will serve their long-term interests, right? And so you find people on the subreddit basically defending complete strangers and twisting their minds or twisting their logic around to somehow maintain this illusion that what they're watching is 100% authentic. And I actually don't think that's the majority of fans. It is a non-trivial number. It is a significant percentage. I don't think it's the majority. And I'll just very quickly throw in a plug for our very, very first bonus episode that we released at the end of January. So go check that one out where we explore the structured reality of Love Island UK through the lens of professional wrestling. There's a lot of overlap. Uh, Yeah, it's exactly that. This just doesn't work in the way that people like to think it does. A lot of people know it's scripted, but they don't want to believe it. They get to live in this better version of the show where they're like, this is really happening. These people really do believe these things. The drama is real because it makes the show more interesting. And then they can also compare it back to their own lives. Yeah. You know, it's like you work the same job, you see the same people, you don't have this crazy drama, but like if you can project yourself into that scenario, it's a lot more fun. It's a lot more fun to get into it. And like, I even did that when I was doing research for this episode, because like once I got my notes done, I just wanted to watch more just for like general culture's sake and just kind of like a better base of what I'm talking about. I'm not doing taking notes anymore. I'm not putting on this lens of picking it apart. Let's just have fun with this. And it was, I get it now. You know, I get why people love this so much when you just take that step away from it and be like, this is really happening. So who was your inner Love Islander then? That's the question we ask of our guests who are into the show and we're having them on because of their love of the show. Who did you identify with? I identified with Nas the most. Yeah. I did not like Nas the first time around, but this time I find him very endearing. I'm a huge Nas stan, (laughs) I guess. Great use of the word. Yeah. I have listened to like a good amount of your show. Like, I'm not just coming on here. Like, I've actually listened to it. Becca, you were exactly right. The minute I saw him, if I was a girl, I'd be like, yo, nah, like, nah, we're friends, bro. We're just friends. 
big friend zone vibes. But like he came into his own, not being, you know, like the uber, uber nice guy. He started fighting a little bit. I do love a come up story. I do love an underdog story. So Nas, you good, bro. You good. They did a good job by bringing Demi on because she was really into him, which transformed him into somebody that could be seen as sexy. I mean, he got yeah. twin sister zoned. That is like the most unique thing I can yeah. possibly think of. So to bring on Demi, who was really into him, made him look like a viable romantic partner. Yeah. And that gave him the confidence and that changed how the public viewed him. And I think it was only through that that he was able to land Eva. He had that sauce. He trusted yeah. in his sauce again. And yeah, I think it's interesting just to relate back to what we were just talking about. Nas is not necessarily the quote unquote typical Love Islander, right? Because yeah. he's short. They always have one. Yeah. yeah. There's always one guy who's usually not white and who's usually short and jokey yep. and doesn't look like all the, you know, chiseled beefcakes, even though Nas is really good looking and he does have a ripped body. He is ripped. Oh, my Lord. You could wash clothes on his deltoids. Yeah, and it made me angry that I wasn't attracted to him because I'm like, he's so handsome <laughs> and he is so ripped. I don't have a height thing. There was just something very yeah. cringy about him in the beginning. But I think you're right. Yeah, well, for me, it was the fact that they were all wearing shoes and socks with swim trunks. What is wrong with you people? And also, this just bothered so, 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 so much to me that I really, really want to get you guys' thoughts on before I get into my solution to kind of fix Love Island and like, and like the way that people watch it. Why are they wearing shoes in bed? I don't know. I don't know. It makes me so angry. And they have those little like blankety things that go across the foot. So I guess that's supposed to absorb the foot skeeve. But I don't know. I mean, I, we're a no shoes in the house family. So I'm a no shoes in life kind of person. Well, hell. Yeah, I, I agree. That, <laughs> you yeah. Frenchy Colorado people. It was up to me. I would also go barefoot a lot. We live in New York City. Yeah. I, I won't know. even wear flip flops. Yeah. Are you trying to tell me that you don't want free blood based diseases and heroin? Is that what you're trying to tell me right now? Because I'll walk barefoot around New York City any any day of the week if that's what that means I get. I mean, I just don't want to step in other people's pee. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's that's rather fair. But on that shoes in bed thing, it is gross. And I think we're going to have to pay closer attention to that and see how frequently that really happens on the show. I counted 45 in the episodes I watched. <gasps> oh, man. That's a scandal. Yeah, it's not great. But is it grosser than barbecue sauce on pizza? That's the question. In all fairness, okay, okay. I know y'all are New Yorkers. That pizza is sacred to y'all. However, I do urge you, if you can find it, to try a barbecue base with blackened chicken, pineapple, and grilled red onions, all right? I know it's sacrilege to y'all. So not really to me. I'm not a native. I've okay. lived in New York City longer than I've lived anywhere else by far. But okay. I'm not afraid of a little pineapple bacon jalapeno pizza. That is the way to go. Can we just call it a flatbread, though, and not call it pizza? I think I would be a lot less offended if they didn't call it pizza. <laughs> pizza is its own thing. Call it a okay. flatbread. Flatbreads are delicious. Put anything you want on that flatbread, and I will probably try it. But if you call it pizza, it's... it's pizza getting... is the crust. It's the sauce. It's the mutts, right? A little garlic. Oh. Maybe a little basil, some oregano, maybe a little, you know, red pepper flakes. Like, let's not go crazy. You could put like regular toppings on it, but see, I'm getting very New York now. I feel very strongly about pizza. Yeah, I know. I can hear it like with the sauce. I can't do a great accent with that. Okay, back on track here. Something else that I noticed, 
And now, like, obviously, a lot of this does relate to mental health. So everyone should go back and listen to your guys' mental health episode because it is very important. And we don't really have enough time to, like, really get through it. But what I noticed was that they come out in swimsuits, right? So they can show off their bodies. When they couple up, what they're basing it on is, is your body, how you look. You should like what your partner looks like. I think that's important. But it's not the only thing. And that's what I think they're really trying to showcase here is that it's like, you need to look perfect. Otherwise, I don't want to be a couple with you. And the other thing I noticed too, was that if you're a woman, the man needs to be this big, strong man. And you shouldn't have to like, they should just take care of you. They do so many impractical things. This is just a side note, but why do they, why do all of the white girls want to look orange? That's something that just really stood out to me. Like you guys are the wrong color. Yeah. The fake tanning stuff is a little disturbing. And I think we actually, at the beginning of the yeah. season, talk about Shawnee's coloring, which we find really yeah. problematic. And we're not the only ones. And it, yeah. it hasn't stopped since <laughs> she left the show too. If you look at some of the glamour model photos, yeah. uh, not glamour model, but model photos that she does. Yeah. It's like, you're on an island. Can't you just sit outside? There's also a strong Essex vibe on the show. And I don't know how familiar you are with Essex, yeah. but that's all like the fake boobs, fake lips, bleached blonde, fake tan. Like that is a look. Yeah. We talk about it as being the Staten yeah. Island of the UK. Yeah, yeah, I can see that vibe. I've met a good amount of girls from Essex. And when I told them I don't like to wear shoes, I don't buy new clothing on a thrift clothing. I like going outside. They're like, what do you do outside? I'm like climbing, hiking, rafting, hunting, like all these different things. I've never seen someone look more confused with the sentence. And they're like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, what's wrong with you for not doing this? Well, I mean, I guess hunting is also pretty British too. I mean, I think it's a different vibe. Hunting in England, I always think of like, you know, men in fancy outfits, like looking for birds. Yeah. And, you know, in America, it's like camo and beer and yeehaw. That's a generalization, obviously. But yeah, all those Essex people, they're super, super image conscious. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, where it's like, they didn't like Ollie because he like breathe money. Like you want to look like you have money, but you want to act like you're a commoner. That's just like something that I noticed, at least in my opinion. And so it's like, you need to work a working class or like middle income job, but you need to look like your riches talent. That also shows that it's like, you need to have all this money to also find love. Love is almost like a transaction. And to be fair, like in ancient times, that's what a lot of marriage was. They need but... to listen to my New York girl, J-Lo. Yeah. Love don't cost a thing. <laughs> I mean, hey, love don't cost a thing because the best birthday present, according to my girlfriend that I've, I've ever gotten her, was tickets to a UFC fight. Hey, whatever makes you happy, yeah. right? Yeah. I think the Let's, again, we, we got a little off track here. Parker, I think you were talking about some of the body image issues that the show kind of brings up yeah this is um a rather depressing quote from a guardian uk article from matha busby dated on the 2nd of june 2019 quote almost one in four people 24 percent age 18 to 24 says reality tv makes them worry about their body image according to yougov survey of 4505 uk adults released by the foundation more than one in seven 15 percent said they had self-harmed or deliberately hurt themselves because of the concerns about their body image and 23 percent have experienced suicidal thoughts because of concerns in relation to their body image end quote so it's like you show all these beautiful inhumanly perfect people 
And like, as I was saying before, the first thing they do is couple up after saying, hello, here's my name and here's what I look like, right? If you're pumping out that message, especially to younger people, that you need to look perfect to find love. You need to be this perfect person for people to notice you. It's not great. It's not a great message to tell children. No, it's not a great look. And they often have a token, not perfect person who may or may not find love. But again, like that's a token and that's not really representation. They should do like a regular ass people season. I don't know if people would tune in. People point to the previous season, season five, Anna Vakili as being kind of the plus sized person who's been on the show. She was still smoking hot. I was thinking more like Jack Fincham from season four or John Clark from season one. Yeah, there have been two or three guys who have not had good bodies on the show, but I don't think there have been really any women. I mean, Shauna puts some weight on over the course of the series. Yep. And we actually learned she has some type of condition that a lot of fat goes to her legs. She's got medical cankles. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry for laughing, but that's just a great way to put it. I don't want to rip on Shauna. It's hard because if your livelihood, I'm sure she didn't go back to democratic services now. She's a full-time influencer. and Yeah, and I don't know if Parker knows this. Tell him now. All right, so Shauna accidentally revealed that her entire participation in the show was staged, that she had a boyfriend. She was in a relationship for about a year before getting into the show. Her boyfriend knew about her going on to the show, ran all of her social media accounts after the show was over over and they are still together to this day and she has said yes i actually went on the show to win the money i wanted to buy my mom a house i had no real intention of legitimately falling in love i was perfectly happy with my boyfriend who i'm still together with today and i think they might even be engaged at this point that is the best grift i've ever heard she should win just off of that because i love me a good scammer all right like Anyone who can just like pull it off and best the suits, so to speak, that is amazing. See, we just need to get more people like that on there. I mean, I'm assuming she got a lot of backlash for that, but like, God, that's amazing. Yeah, there were people who were really, really pissed off, and she did actually yeah. pull down all of the posts where she admitted it, but certain people took screen caps, so they are preserved for posterity. But it's also something that nobody really has an interest in promoting. Right? If you think about the Love Island economy or the reality TV economy, certainly the producers of the show don't want to broadcast that. Shauna herself does not really want people to know that because it hurts her brand, it hurts her following, the Love Island family fans like you were saying before they like the kayfabe aspect (laughs) a lot of the people who don't legitimately believe it's real like you're saying a lot of them like to pretend that it's real that me yeah because it does make the show more fun just like when you're watching wrestling like it's fun to pretend that these are real struggles of good versus evil that's great there are real relationships in love island oh we like to say love island is where the relationships are fake but the emotions are real shauna deserves a bafta because in those episodes that you watch right where she's crying over callum and molly i felt her pain i can't do the accent but i'm just happy that you're happy i'm like well my girl congrats hun I can feel your pain. Yeah, A++ on the acting. I'm surprised. You're probably the best actor out of all. Yeah, she is really good. And a strange way didn't make me like her a little bit more. Well, because she was an agitator too. She made a lot of the drama yeah. happen. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. And this season was more boring compared to prior seasons. And I yeah. think without Rebecca in her first few weeks and with Shauna, her whole run, really, she wasn't even starting shit for her own gain. Right. 
That's what Rebecca was doing. Shauna was just starting shit for fun. You know, actually, I think I think she was doing her own game. She played it off as though she was doing it for fun. She's definitely not dumb because now she knows that if I play things up, even the producers didn't think I was going to do, that's going to keep me on. That's going to be like, roll film, roll film, roll film. Let's get Shauna back in here because it makes people watch. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And they even try to bring in more people for her later after Callum dumps her. But we don't want to get into that because we don't spoil the season that we're talking about so i will leave it there yeah and so one last thing that i want to bring up it displays a lot of toxic masculinity and a lot of misogyny first episode i watched ollie was like oh i'll break you down i'll force you to like me and it's like no no dude no if a girl or guy doesn't like you you leave them alone it's teaching people that oh i can just keep on badgering someone and eventually i'll break them down into liking yes there are definitely problems like that in all six seasons and it's also funny how there are some great examples of non-toxic masculinity i think we see a lot of that in season three if you decide that you have caught the bug and want to watch a season that has everything season three is perfect there is a bromance that came out of that season that just like warms my heart to this day Kem and Chris, they wrote the rap, Little Bit Leave It, which is obviously the name of the podcast. That's where it came from. (laughs) And they're just, they're both very comfortable with their masculinity and their sexuality. I think they smooch in the pool for fun. No, that was Dom. Dom and Chris or Dom and Kem? I don't even, Dom kissed a couple guys that season, I think. But no one like mocked it and it wasn't played for laughs in a mean way. Oh yeah, no. As much toxic masculinity that I see on the show, I am also surprised at the amount of behaviors that you'd see that American guys would just like never do because oh that's gay bro pretty much everything Chris Taylor does in season five with his kimono (laughs) and his hair turban yeah and then you like flip that to that other dude Tom from season five also who is just the biggest misogynistic asshole or one of many but again getting off topic Parker, you were just talking about toxic masculinity, this idea that the men really kind of take care of the women. You mentioned that a minute ago. Yeah. A lot of the women, they do very impractical things, such as wearing obscenely tall heels to the point where they can't really walk that well. They have, you know, nails five inches off their fingers. They're not really working with their hands. They're doing all these things, which kind of reminds me of... This is going to sound a little bit out there, but just bear with me. It kind of reminded me of, in a way, Chinese foot binding. The point was that only rich people did it because it's so impractical that they would never have to walk or work. It's like, obviously, it's not to that degree, but the women on the show are still doing the exact same thing. They're talking about like, oh, what kind of jobs these guys have, you know, like how much money they're making. The women are not supposed to work, but the men are supposed to work and they're supposed to be taken care of. I'm a firm believer that in any relationship, things should be equal. Like That's what me and my girlfriend do, where it's like, we split everything, whether it be money, work. We don't live together currently, but we will be soon. So Parker, tell us, how can we fix Love Island? We've been building and building and building to this big reveal. We have no idea what's about to come out of his mouth. So don't yeah. at us, at him. <laughs> yeah, lay it on us. What's yes. your solution here? Alrighty, so my solution is two-pronged, all right? It's to protect the viewer's and the contestants, all right? And so now, again, we didn't really touch on it too much because it's way too complicated for our time here today, but it really affects people's mental health, both on viewership 
and on the contestants as we found and again you really go back and listen to their episode about it and definitely talk about Carolyn Black on their episode we can't talk about it today because it's just way too much information to get through however first part would be to protect the viewers I would argue that Love Island can, can be dangerous to a viewer's mental state and body image and so this is going to seem way off topic but just bear with me here driving a car in the U.S. is super dangerous as well 36,096 people died in motor vehicle crashes in 2019, according to the Department of Transportation. So for the viewers, they would need to get a license before they can watch Love Island. Okay. The reason I'm saying this is that we really need to ensure that people know that this show is just entertainment. It's not real. It's a load of fun, but you need to know that, right? Because it's like driving a car is super duper fun, but it's dangerous. You can kill people and you can kill yourself. I'm not saying that Love Island is that extreme, but I am saying that it can definitely mess with you. And so therefore you need to do a practical test. You need to do a written test. You need to make sure that everyone really knows that this show is entertainment and nothing more. The biggest way to enforce this would be to put a national child locker on all forms of where you can find Love Island. And it's really easy to get through it. You just simply enter in your license number. Boom. You can watch it. That's going to protect the viewers. However, for the contestants, this is where it takes a little bit of a turn here. And again, if you've heard my show before, you know it's going to be rather out there. Instead of having these beautiful, gorgeous, chiseled people from normal life, we're just going to get beautiful, chiseled, gorgeous people uh, well, from insane hold on. Explain to me yeah? why that's a solution. Well, it's a solution because if they're already crazy, we're not going to make them crazy. The problem solved. Because, like, that's what we're talking about. And also... Think about the amount of money you're going to save on production costs, right? You don't got to teach them to act any certain ways. Okay, I mean, you will need to be kind of careful with, like, weapons and whatnot, but, like, that's a problem down the line. Or maybe it wouldn't be. That could be also whoa, super whoa, whoa, whoa. entertaining So, hold on. You're proposing that the production team and the casting team of Love Island scout the insane asylums for beautiful people yes. who are already so far gone that any cyberbullying that they are subject to following the show. I mean, frankly, we don't even know if these people have social media since they're in an insane asylum. So that might solve that problem too. Yeah. Just a little counterpoint here. Might that be, I don't know. Cruel? Yeah, maybe a little more exploitative. Perhaps. However, they're making boatloads of cash on this, right? And they've had some problems in their past with the reputation of being like exploitative, of like messing with people's mental health, of not doing these proper things. So what better way than to put these crazy people on their show? They're not going to make them crazy because like, ah, oh, we're not doing anything. They're already crazy. Two, they can actually get some mental health up in here, right? So like, they don't need to do these check-ins. They can just raise money and awareness for mental health, and they can really help their brand image that Love Island is not only helping people who have never found love before find love and also get the crucial mental health they probably desperately need. And then they're not going to make them crazy anymore. And think about the viewership, man. I don't think you're really focusing on this. Think about the viewers. They're going to have millions of people. So basically the advertising revenue would like triple and some of that money could then be reinvested into mental health yeah. for the larger society. So yeah. what about this though? I do think that that's a little harsh feeling for my personal sensitivities. So what if it was like Therapy Island as part of the show? Not only are you finding love, but you are doing daily sessions individually and also group therapy once a day. Well, see, that's the spinoff. See, see, okay. th those gears are turning. ITV7, call us. <laughs> yeah, Therapy Island. Therapy Island, yeah. I think like, they did that, didn't they? Didn't Dr. Drew do a show like that? 
They absolutely did. We watch Dr. Phil, don't we? We, we don't. don't. Well, I'm, I'm not saying like <laughs> us three on this podcast right yeah. now. I'm saying that people watch his show. Anyway, that's my proposed solution, right? And that's also why I'm saying that Love Island viewers need to get that license to make sure that they know this is not a real show. And also we just use crazy people. We're also going to help with body image too. Oh wait, they're, they're way more crazy than I am. I don't got to worry about this. I'm beautiful. Well, I mean, and again, if you if you ever heard my show, certainly it's an interesting proposal. I would also wonder, though, might there be a slight contradiction? I'm wondering whether the show would end up becoming less structured if you had people who were actually coming from mental institutions and putting them on the show. Would that affect the producer's ability to? create the drama i think the drama will be largely contestant driven (laughs) yeah so we're making better content when roger snores and then gets murdered well hey hey that's what i said about weapons all right like we're gonna be careful about that all right i'm not saying we're just gonna let them loose like you know they're gonna be watched i mean there's cameras everywhere they managed to get toothbrush shivs in prison so i kind of feel like maybe no toothbrushes yeah, well, don't they primarily use electric toothbrushes? You on can make a weapon out of just about everything. Then props for creativity. Yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, the scary thing about this proposal, honestly, and we know that it's, it's satirical. Yeah. And again, listeners, it, it's a satirical proposal. This is very satirical. Like, that's my whole bit. And he's young like y'all. He's from yeah. the new generation where you guys care more about people. Yeah, he, he's not nearly as cynical and jaded as we are. We're millennial we're Gen X crossovers. We were raised with those like hardcore boomer values of fuck the guy who's crying, you know, facts over feelings, except not facts because we don't believe in yes. science anymore. Yeah. If you study hard and work hard, you'll get a house in the American dream. But, you know, what's interesting about it, because I know it's satirical, is that it is not that difficult to envision in terms of the second part of the proposal, in terms of reality shows intentionally looking for people who are maybe going to cause some drama on the show. What just came to my mind actually was Chloe going on to the second season of the U.S. version of The Circle on Netflix, largely because of her behavior on Too Hot to Handle. And so she's the first non-American. She's the first person on the circle who is not from the country where that edition is being broadcast, which is really interesting. Well, beyond that, she's the first person who's already received an amount of fame. Right. The first non-regular person, right? Yeah, but I mean, they clearly brought her on the show because on Too Hot to Handle, she made out with every guy. (laughs) You know, so that's... She's also beautiful, young, and delightful. Oh, yeah. She's awesome TV. There's no question. But I wonder about certain shows that don't really have the ethical track record of Love Island. And I'm not saying that Love Island has always behaved ethically in every situation. I don't think that's really the case. But when you compare it to, say, the stories around Are You the One and how those production teams have dealt with issues with the cast, I think you see a real difference in terms of just respecting people's basic dignity and humanity on the Love Island production side compared to what MTV does with Are You the One. I think it's actually very ethical. There are just a handful of just feral people in the world, right? What if we just got a feral person to come on Love Island. It would make amazing content. And then they also get to live how they really want to live. 
They don't have to follow these societal rules. If they want to be a wolf, they can just be a wolf. There's a Glow reference. That, honestly, like, <laughs> I watched Glow after I watched, like, my research for Love Island. The wolf girl would be amazing on Love Island. Perfect kind of person. So I'm not saying, like, they all need to be, like, the wolf girl from Glow. But you need to have, like, a little bit of intersectionality. And I would also argue that a lot of these people are already mentally ill. But just not, like, the fun way. Yeah. They don't want to say anything about the cadets themselves. But I feel like a good amount of people are like mildly, not quite sociopathic, but like there's something missing in their brain. Narcissism isn't a fun mental illness. Let's get the fun mental illnesses in here. That's one of the points we raised in our mental health episode is that a certain amount of narcissism and self-absorption is required to even audition. And it's not fair to solely blame Love Island or the internet. Yeah, that is really true. And I think the one real legitimate criticism that people have made and certainly we have made of the show is that it's not that they haven't provided great aftercare. And I think Maybe in the first couple of years, they didn't provide nearly as much as they do now because they weren't really aware of it. The problem has more been about screening people who have narcissistic personality disorder or borderline personality disorder. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like, that's not fun. I want to see someone with, like, mo- like multiple personality disorder. I think it's called disassociative identity. or Yeah, disassociative identity. It certainly would be a different show. I'm just saying, and also, now they're only exploiting one person instead of five people. Because we can get five different people. Yeah, I was going to say, they were kind of exploiting five different people just in one package. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's fine. Okay, but here's the real question, though. So, like, let's say we get three people all with dissociative personality disorder. I do apologize if I get any of the names or words wrong about this. Again, this is very satirical. Do you think they would pay them for five people? Because I think they should. I'm actually more curious to see how many times the same people couple up with each other under various personalities. Yeah. (laughs) Whether people would have multiple compatible personalities. It's like coupling up with yourself? No. Oh, wow. That's a whole other thing I didn't think about. You guys see where I'm going with this, right? We don't harm anybody's mental health. We raise tons of awareness for mental health. That is a very serious problem. And if you are struggling with that, just know you are loved and uh, please go get help. We're going to save so much money on production costs, right? Amazing content. And with the additional licenses for the viewers, everybody wins. Well, that is certainly a modern proposal. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, that's an interesting take, an interesting way to look at it. And we'll be sure to forward this segment of the episode to our friends at ITV7 so they can take this under advisement. I kind of like Therapy Island. I think Therapy Island would also be great, but like what worries me about that is that it's like, that's a good idea, but I could see that going poorly very quickly. Oh, that's the one that gives you problems? (laughs) That's what what gives you pause as people trying actively to make themselves healthier? That's the one that's going to go left. I'm not saying the contestants... They want the drama. They want people who are going to be like kind of loose cannons that are going to surprise them. I would say you could get a therapist punched in the face on that show. Someone's going to dig up old memories of trauma and abuse and someone's going to get punched. So then we also got to get WrestleMania in here. ITV 7, 2, 4, and 5. Okay, we're going to drop all of our plugs here in a moment. So you know where to find us. I actually think that is a great way to wrap this up. So why don't you tell the folks again where they can find you and where they can find a modern proposal. Find me on Twitter at Parker J. Wrights. 
the pod's Twitter at a modern proposal. You can find my podcast on all of the places so like Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, you, you know, wherever you get your pods casted. Please, if you are struggling with mental health, do not take the ravings of my lunatic voice seriously. Please go get help. There are many people in this world that are more than happy to help you guys. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening to the ravings of this lunatic. Yeah, this was fun for us. This was really different from our normal feature segments. Yeah, this is going to be great. Follow my show. Be really sad and think about life and stuff. Enjoy the podcast. I think it is worth checking out, guys. So check out A Modern Proposal. Thank you so much to Parker James for joining us today. Thank you. For all the time and the work that you put into it. You guys are super fun.